Thank you, Wendy. Thank you to the ensemble. Didn't the musical worship, didn't they do a great job today? Thank you for that. Enjoyed that. I had no idea Chris could sing. How about that? And that opening song, man, he was back there hiding. I didn't see anyone singing. I was like, is that a CD when I walked in, you know? And uh, it was Chris hiding in the back, who is Bump City 1976, if you're on Twitter. But that's just, that's just so you can know. Hey, on... Uh, on behalf of my family, let me say thank you for all the prayers and cards and emails and texts and tweets and calls and visits due to uh, the passing of my grandmother. We are grateful for that. Thank you for all the support that you've given us. Thanks for those of you who made the very long trip to Leesville and then turned around and came back. And, uh, and so we are, we are grateful for the love. Uh, it was obviously caught us off guard. For those of you who don't know, she fell and hit her head and then died as a result of, of those injuries. And so, uh, but we are grateful for she lives now and she's free from all of that. So uh, thank you for your support. Uh, thank you also for the uh, July connection. Uh, I was, I just flew back from New Mexico yesterday and Anyways, when I received the email, I had no idea that uh, what the connection would be, and I was in a restaurant, and uh, I opened it, and I was like, what are all these letters? This is a weird connection. And then I began to read them, and I had to put them down because I was losing it in the middle of a restaurant around strangers, you know, and they're like, who's the freak at the table crying, you know? <laughs> and so then I was like, okay, I can do it, I can read it. I was like, oh, I got to put it down. So I got in my car, and... Uh, and uh, had a good cry. So uh, thank you for the support. Thanks for the kindness that you expressed in those letters. And if you're a guest and you have no idea, you can read our connection online. And uh, our, our folks just expressed some, some kind wishes as Tara and I transition. We're here this Sunday and then next Sunday will be our, our final Sunday, at least, uh, at least for now. And uh, we're transitioning to Mississippi. We have our passports and... Uh, going to go help with the church plant there. If uh, this is your first Sunday, we've been walking through the book of Colossians, and Kevin and I have been doing it together, taking turns, alternating, and uh, we will be in chapter 3 today, so I'd love for you to open your Bible to chapter 3. And while you're there, I just wanted to share with you a little bit. Uh, yesterday, I, I started my journey in Albuquerque. I have, I have lost track in the, in the past week and a half, so in the past 10 days, I believe I have spoken uh, somewhere around 23 or 24 times. And uh, so I was ready to get on the plane in Albuquerque and did. And as we were flying into Houston, we were supposed to land at Intercontinental. And he was on the approach. Yeah, and then all of a sudden he pulled up. And, and this guy, he, he, I didn't like, I was a little nervous anyway because when we left Albuquerque, like he punched it. And then they pulled up and did this big U-turn, you know. And then, and, uh, and then he's like, well, we're sorry, that was an anomaly. Everything's okay, we just wanted to check, you know. And so then we go again, and there was a mechanic sitting in front of me, and he was like, I don't like anomalies. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so uh, I, I thought, well, I can't remember if I prayed, but let me pray. Jesus! So uh, uh, anyways, we, we got in the air, and, and everything was fine, but we got into Houston, and he starts, and I was like, this guy can't make up his mind. You know, when we're taking off, he turns around. Now that we're landing, he turns around. I was like, what's going on? And so then we landed at this airport in Houston I'd never been at before. It was strange because it said NASA. 
And uh, there were these NASA jets. Who knew that NASA had jets, right? They were there. And, and, uh, and so we landed, and, and I, uh, we parked next to another plane in which there were people still sitting on their plane looking at us out their windows. And I thought, this is strange, you know? And there was no jetway. There was no way off. We're just parked in the middle of this concrete, you know? And, and the pilot comes on and says, well, in case you're not aware, we're not intercontinental. We are in Houston. He said we were just uh, at another uh, air base. He said when we began our approach, the bottom fell out, and they waved us off, and so now we're here. He says uh, we have to refuel. We have to get permission to go back to intercontinental. He said I have no idea how long we'll be here. And the best news is we couldn't deplane either, and so we got to just sit there and look at the other people on the plane and then everyone on our plane, you know, and then everyone with connections began to panic, you know, automatically. Ah! And and I just kind of laughed. And uh, Because what can you do? There's not a single thing you can do. You're just trapped in that thing, right? And so then it was funny because I kept seeing planes land, and I was like, we are never leaving. And so then I called Kevin and said, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And uh, that was when Kevin began to intercede heavily. And... Uh, <laughs> Next thing I know, our pilot says, we've been given permission, we've got gas, we're going. And so I laughed because the other plane was still sitting there. I was like, suckers, you know. <laughs> and we, we, we took off, and it was so weird because I've never done a five-minute flight over Houston, you know, from Houston to Houston. And so uh, my flight in, to Baton Rouge last night was supposed to leave at 9.15. And so we landed at 9.20, and uh, I went, I landed three gates from where the Baton Rouge flight was supposed to be. And, uh, and so I went over, and it said Corpus Christi. And, and uh, I said, is the Baton Rouge flight, is it closed, is it gone? And they're like, no, 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 it's just right over there. And it was right behind me. It was only difficult to notice because it wasn't on any monitor, and it wasn't listed at the gate. So I went up and asked the man, and apparently bothered him because it was his job. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, I'm sorry, is this the Baton Rouge flight? And he's like, yes. I was like, oh, oh okay, thank you. So I went and found a kinder man and said, is this plane really going to Baton Rouge? He's like, well, I don't know. There isn't even a plane. Look out there. They said it wouldn't even get here to 940. The worst thing that I can tell you is in the Houston airport is uh, Shipley Donuts. And uh, <laughs> so I knew I was close. I smelled it. And uh, I was like, the plane's not here. I've got time. The greatest tragedy of this story is that junk shuts down at like 9. And so like... And nothing was open, and I was like, God saved me from myself once again. <laughs> but there was a little convenience store, and I got Pop-Tarts. So uh, I come back, and they're loading our plane. Our plane has mysteriously shown up, and we'd load, right? And then we'd get there, and it's one of those where you load and you sit. And we just sat, and we sat. And I was texting Tara what time, and then I was like, no, forget it. We're, we're still, well, I'm still in Houston. I'm stuck in another plane, just sitting, sitting. And it took forever. Finally, some folks got on. It was really cool. A mom got on with a small child and two young children, and the two young children got to sit right next to me, and it was awesome. And the mom got to sit back there in the back. <laughs> and one of their favorite games was watch how I slam the tray table as many times <laughs> as I can. And then they swapped drinks, and uh, it was a great trip. I was... <laughs> And so then we landed in Baton Rouge, and then it was really cool because we didn't get to deplane. <laughs> We're just standing and standing and standing. And I was like, when did I enter Hotel California? <laughs> I've checked in, but I can never leave. I can never leave this place. 
standing, standing, standing. And I finally just looked, and the lady behind me, she just went. <laughs> and fortunately, I was still getting extra time with the two children. <laughs> Mama! Mama, you, Mama, he hit me! I wanted to hit them, but I didn't. <laughs> and then there was a break, and I saw movement, and we began to make our way out, and uh, I got to go and... Uh, find the good news that my bag was safe in Houston. So I was just like, thank you, Continental, for my sanctification. I share that very long, painful story because how many of you think as soon as I got off the plane prison, which Continental in Greek means captivity, uh, how many of you think my first thought was, I can't wait to get back on that plane? How many of you think that was my first thought? How many of you think that was my last thought? I mean, if you think the last place in the world I wanted was back on a continental plane to be trapped, right? I thought about that in light of uh, 1776, in light of the Revolutionary War, and in light of our soldiers. Uh, and wouldn't it be odd if after they repelled the English, after they defeated the English, wouldn't it have been odd for them to say, we voluntarily place ourselves back under your tyranny? Wouldn't that have been odd if they had done that to the monarch, to the king? They had defeated this king, and they f- were free. They had their liberty. But if they were to intentionally go back into it and voluntarily put themselves under that tyranny, into that captivity again, how many of you would think that would be crazy? How many of you think that would be crazy? I'm just glad, you know, because in Colossians 3, that's what it's about. Christ has liberated us. And the call is not to voluntarily... Put yourself back under sin's tyranny. Once you've tasted captivity, once you've been free from that, don't go back into that. You see, sin is an awful master, but Christ is an awesome Savior. And so the greatest freedom that we celebrate today is not our right to vote. It's not our right to go wherever we want. It's not our right to any other political right. The greatest freedom we celebrate today is the liberty from sin and death, and Christ alone brings that. And so what's confusing, and that's why Paul writes in chapter 3, he says, you know, if you've been connected to Christ, if you've been set free, then live in it. Don't go back into prison. Don't go back into captivity. So I want you to stand with me. Let's read verses 1 through 11 and see what we're being called to, not just to learn, but to live today in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This is what Paul writes under the influence of the Spirit. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. But to death, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for your divine timing and for us to be able to study it today. We are grateful to be in this country in which we have many liberties, 
But Father, our greatest liberty is the one in which you've achieved at the cross of Christ, setting us free from sin and death. So we pray that you would help us to set our minds on things that are above. You would help us to seek things that are above. You would help us to put to death the things of the flesh. You would help us to put them all away, all of the imperatives that are in this text. But, Father, we want these imperatives drenched in the indicatives. It says, because we have died with Christ, because we have been risen with Christ, because of the gospel, we are able to do these things. So, Father, would you teach us? Would you light it up by your spirit? And then, Father, would you help us to live it? It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Three broad points this morning, and we'll go back uh, to pick up some things in Colossians just so we grasp it. Number one is we needed freedom from sin and death. You know, not everyone realizes they need freedom from sin and death. Not everyone realizes they are born into a spiritual prison or more, really, a spiritual grave. We are born dead uh, in our sin. And so not everyone has self-awareness. And we talked about that a few weeks ago when we were back in Colossians 1. And you know what I mean. Not everyone has self-awareness. Some people are rude. They don't realize how rude they are. Some people have bad breath. That was my joy on the way out to New Mexico. A girl with horrendous breath sat right next to me. It makes the gospel sharing very difficult. But what was worse was she had the gift of sleeping with her mouth open. And she was, and it would hit me. And I would be like, even now, come Lord Jesus. And uh, it was awful. And so she didn't have good self-awareness. And if that offends you, well, if you have bad breath, I will tell you because we're friends. Well, when it comes to spirituality, the Bible says we have horrible self-awareness. We don't realize it. Go back to Colossians 1, where we were a few weeks ago, in verse 21. It says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. The Bible tells us three things that we are without Christ. Without Christ, we are alienated. The word means separated, cut off. We are separated from God. Without Christ, we're cut off from him. Without Christ, it says we're hostile in mind. We don't come out neutral to God. We come out against God. We want to be God. We want to be king. And so we don't come out just uh, nice and cordial towards him. No, hostile means hateful. This is how we are born. Uh, the Bible then says, without Christ, we were doing evil deeds. All there in verse 21. And so it's, uh, one of the things that uh, people may not like to hear is those that are outside of Christ are evil. That's what the Bible says. And it's because they have evil hearts, because they're captivated to sin. They're born into that, as we know from Romans 5. Those that are born into Adam are born into Adam's sin. When you go further in Colossians 2, a passage that Pastor Kevin shared with us. Colossians 2, verse 14 tells us that Christ cancels the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. But what you don't want to miss is that there was a record of debt at one point because of all of our sin and our sins that we've committed. There is a debt that's owed to God. And so one of the things is trying to convince people who live in a free country that they are in spiritual bondage, one of the most difficult things, particularly trying to convince them that they're a sinner. And if they are a sinner, that they're equally as bad as every other sinner because we begin to use this moral standard. The Bible says we are awful. And matter of fact, what Christ has to work with, I've shared with you before, is the image of a corpse with three chains around it. The chain of the world, the chain of the flesh, and the chain of the devil. Ephesians 2 says, As for you, you're dead in your sins and transgressions in which you once walked following the ways of this world, following the power of the one who's at work, the spirit of those disobedience. He says, and we used to all walk in those ways, gratifying the cravings of the body and the mind. 
And so you see what Jesus has to work with and what has to free us with, we are spiritually a dead body, but chained, imprisoned to the flesh, the world, and the devil. And so it is glorious that we see that he is sufficient enough to be able to not only bring life, but also liberty as he sets us free from these other masters, which have never been good masters because all they will leave us to is perishing. So one of my favorite movies, obviously, is Lord of the Rings. And uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, the second one, Two Towers or whatever it's called. And I love it because TBS plays them like nonstop. Those and Star Wars. You have a good chance of catching Star Wars or Lord of the Rings on uh, TNT or TBS at any point. You'll remember, though, in the second one, uh, all the humans are trapped by the orbs. Does anyone remember this? The second, they're all trapped, and so and it's very ominous. And you know it's bad because the elf has been killed, and the elf was like the best warrior, you know, and you're like, we're in trouble now, you know. And so they all huddle inside and decide to get on their horses because if they're going to die, we're going to die on our horses. And uh, it's really kind of funny. And so they, they, they get on their horses, and they charge out, and it's darkness. And then uh, Gandalf appears on the top of the mountain. And he's no longer Gandalf the Grey, but Gandalf has died and has come back in this mysterious resurrection that Tolkien is using all of this to be a picture, ultimately, of Christ. And he's no longer Gandalf the Grey, he's Gandalf the White. And he's on the top of that hill, and all of a sudden, all of that darkness is repealed because of that light. And that light sweeps down into that darkness. And in the same way, friends, when we were a corpse and we were chained to the world, the flesh, and the devil, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to be born of a virgin, to set us free and to bring life. Friends, we needed freedom from sin and death. Number two, Christ won our freedom. Does anyone know how much the American Revolution cost? Anyone know offhand? I used the ever-reliable Wikipedia last night, and uh, it's amazing. If you Google it, uh, there are numerous answers, but... uh, the, the vast sum puts it somewhere between $14.8 million and $15.8 million is what the American Revolution cost the colonists. Of course, by the end, it says actually at the end of the Revolutionary War, the infant country was $25 million in debt to other countries and to wealthy persons who loaned much of the money that financed the war. The Dutch, now Holland, but then called the Republic of <laughs> Batavia, I love, we should consider changing the name of our country a couple times, see what happens. Uh, we owed them about $13 million, and then uh, the rest were uh, particular families, these sorts of things. So it cost us around $14, $15 million to be liberated from England. Uh, in persons, uh, when it came to the war and losses of life, about 7,200 Americans were killed in battle during the Revolutionary War. Approximately 8,200 were wounded, and around 10,000 others died in military camps from disease or exposure Some 8,500 would die in prison after being captured by the British. American military deaths from all causes during the war added up to 25,700 people. So while it may have caught us, monetarily-wise, it may have cost us 14, 15 million, it cost us 25,700 lives in order for our country to have its freedom. But I'm not sure if you're aware of the cost to those who actually signed the Declaration of Independence. Are you aware what the Declaration of Independence is? Okay, good, all four of us. So uh, that's why we're celebrating. Uh, Here's what happens. 56 men signed the Declaration of Independence. Their conviction resulted in untold sufferings for themselves and their families. Of the 56 men, five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the Revolutionary Army. Another had two sons captured. 
nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds or hardships of the war. Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy planter and trader, saw his ships sunk by the British Navy. He sold his home and properties to pay his debts and died in poverty. At the Battle of Yorktown, the British General Cornwallis had taken over Thomas Nelson's home for his headquarters. Nelson quietly ordered General George Washington to open fire on his own home. The home was destroyed and Nelson died bankrupt. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside as she was dying. Their 13 children fled for their lives. His fields and mill were destroyed. For over a year, he lived in forests and caves, returning home only to find his wife dead and his children vanished. A few weeks later, he died from exhaustion. It was great cost to have the liberty that we enjoy today. And we too often forget those upon whose shoulders that we stand. But as great as this cost was, in order to liberate us from sin and death, it costs much more. It cost our Heavenly Father His only Son. You see in this text, back in Colossians 1, verse 20, it says, Through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, how? By the blood of His cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. You'll see in Colossians 2 that Kevin shared with us, beginning in verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. How did he do that? He tells you. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And it wasn't a paper that he nailed to the cross. It was his son with all of our sin laid upon him. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So as a result of Christ's victory, as a result of Christ's substitution, you see, he died our death. Our penalty was laid upon him. All of our sin was given credit to him so that when we stand before God, we will give an account for zero of our sin. Is that not glorious? All of our sin has been credited to Christ. He is the one who is guilty of our sin. We are the ones who receive his full innocence. And so the way that our liberty from sin and death was obtained was because the one who was offended is the one who paid our debt. The one who we turned our back on, the one that we raged against, the one that we wanted to be under us is the one who came and got us in our worst state and at the greatest cost, pouring that wrath into his son. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Let me pause right here and make sure you grasp something. God so hates sin that he didn't spare Jesus when sin was laid on him. And friend, he will not spare you if you have not fled to Jesus. God so hates sin that he didn't even spare his own son. And he will not spare you if you don't flee to Jesus. So how is it that we see here we're in need of freedom? How did it come? Not from an army. Not from good deeds. Not from mission trips. Not from being part of a church. Through Christ Jesus and his substitutionary atonement. There's been no greater price ever paid for liberty in the history of the world. So then that gets us to where we are in Colossians 3 today. 
We are called to live in Christ's freedom. And there are two main points from Colossians 3. One is that we are united to Christ. As believers, we are united to Christ. But number two is that we are then united in Christ to one another. So we are united to Christ because he has obtained this freedom. We are united to Christ. And then number two, we'll see that we are united in Christ to one another. But let's look first in Colossians 3, uh, this united to Christ. We want to make sure you understand there is no other means to liberty but Christ. If you look in chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him. You see that there in 2.12. Verse 13 will go on to say, And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. You look in verse 20. It says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? And then in 3.1, beginning in our focus text today, if then you have been raised with Christ, you look at uh, verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Friends, if you take away Jesus, you take away liberty. There is no liberty outside of Jesus, Jesus alone. So why is it that we preach Christ? For Christ is the only one who sets people free. Why is it that we are tenacious with the gospel? The gospel is the only hope for the world. Why is it that we don't want to move away or add to or take from Christ's substitutionary work? Because everything else fails. And so with Christ, in Christ, with Christ, I would encourage you, if you've not done that in Colossians yet, you should go through and highlight every single one of those phrases to assure you and remind you what it means to be united to Christ and that he is the only source of liberty. Personally, I'm blown away by this. And if you want to know the original Declaration of Independence, it wasn't on July 4th, 1776. You actually would need to turn back to Luke 4, verses 18 and 19, where Jesus says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's a verse from Isaiah that was proclaimed 700 years before Christ. And so, friends, God has declared our, our freedom long before, and then Christ shows up and he says, I'm the guy. I'm the one who will set you free. That's the real declaration of independence. It's in Christ Jesus, and he comes to set us free. So we are united to Christ, and I want to show you just three ways we're united to Christ in these first four verses. We are united to Christ in his death. It says, verse 1, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ on God. We are united in his death. As verse 1 says, we are united in his resurrection. And as the end of verse 4 says, we are united with him in his glory. You also will appear with him in glory. We'll take these in just a moment. First of all, we should just always be speechless with the fact that God would unite us with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it just means this, Jesus died my death. So repeat after me, Jesus died my death for sin. And so God connects us. He gives Jesus full credit and gives us full credit for his death. He connects us in that death. 
And so then he also connects us in Christ's resurrection. And this is what we've already seen. I've already read these verses to you multiple times. Verse 12 of chapter 2. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him. So you get both of these. You get death and you get resurrection. And we are united to Christ's death and resurrection. Friends, if we don't have that credit, we are hopeless. If we don't have that connection, we are hopeless. And so we should even be speechless that God would unite us to Christ at all. That God would even desire to be united to us. But in particular, to do it in such a way that it cost him. Of course, Galatians 2.20 says, I'm crucified with whom? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but the life I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so we are connected in his death and his resurrection. This is our only hope. For he has paid our debt and he has conquered the grave. And without these, we are without hope in the world. So this is why we should rejoice today in being united to him. But also, it says in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so we also will be united in his glory. Philippians 3.20 says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Or John writes in 1 John 3, verse 2, and he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So now, repeat after me. Reconciliation via propitiation for the purpose of glorification. All right, so don't miss it. So reconciliation, we've been changed thoroughly. Remember, we talked about that. God brings us back in. How? Through propitiation, Jesus takes God's wrath. That's what propitiation is. Jesus takes God's wrath. But for what purpose? It's not just that we're holy, blameless, and beyond reproach, as it says in Colossians 1. Those things are the means to the end of enjoying God forever. And so we will be like him. I don't know all of what it means for Jesus to have that resurrected body. But I know this. We will be without sin. We will be without pain. We will be without all of the things that are wretched and awful. And it will be an experience like we've never encountered. And then here's the glorious thought. I love what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians and says, and so we will be with him always. So we get to share in his glory. And friends, not because you earned it or you impressed him, because he has given it. He freely gives us. So we are united to Christ in his death, in his resurrection, and unspeakably in his glory. Whatever he's like, we will be like him. And I can't wait. So we're united to Christ. Here's our second point in verses 5 through 11. We are then united in Christ. And uh, I don't know if you've ever considered this, but the Bible writers seem to think the gospel should make a difference in our lives. The Bible writers have a notion that if we have been connected with Christ, I don't know, it should make a big deal on Monday morning in our life, right? And so they seem to think that our lives should be different if you're connected to him. And there are a couple ways that we are united to each other. The very first one is united in thought. Friends, never take for granted Christ has liberated your mind. In case you have forgotten, the Bible says that pre-Christ, our minds are darkened, hostile, ignorant, futile, blinded. Those aren't good, right? But now look what we're being called to in chapter 3. And these are actually in verses 1 through 4. If then you've been raised with Christ, here's the imperative. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Here's the second command. 
set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And here's the reason. Number three, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Now, friends, this is what we talk about. We want imperatives drenched in indicatives. What does that mean? It means that if I just tell you, set your mind on things above or seek things that are above without drenching that in the hope of the gospel, then all I've done is laid a heavy burden on you. But what Paul is saying, because you're united with Christ, because you're in his death, because you're in your resurrection, now you have the power for the first time ever to set your mind on the things that are above, to seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's never been available because you've been blinded, hostile, futile, ignorant, darkened, and now your mind has been liberated. And if there's anything that Christians should be united in, we're thinking the same things. And what we're thinking? Jesus. That's what we're thinking. That's what we're dominated by. We think on Jesus. And I'm, I, I see here that it's a present. It's written in a present tense, which means keep seeking, keep setting. Keep seeking, keep setting. And in case you haven't figured this out, this doesn't happen on accident. We must be intentional. Because of the gospel, we now for the first time have the privilege and opportunity to keep seeking what's above, to keep setting our mind on the things of Christ. And we must do it over and over, and we must be intentional. We must train ourselves to think on Christ. I've begged you for years. If you have to stick it on the dashboard of your car, if you have to stick a note on your light switch as you walk out the house, whatever we have to do to be intentional that would cause us to say, think on Christ, think about Christ, because we tend to wake up and we think about us. We tend to wake up and think, I'm tired. We tend to wake up and think, my breath stinks. We tend to wake up and think, I don't want to do dot, dot, dot. We tend to think about I, I, I. But because of the gospel, we are being called to think about something other than self. And because of the gospel, we actually have the power to do that. We have been set free to set our minds above. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. Prior to that, Romans 12, 1 says, therefore, that we should, by the mercies of God, I appeal to you, brothers, that you would use your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord, right? Well, Romans 12, 1, what we do with our body is actually driven by Romans 12, 2, what we think with our mind. So repeat after me, ready? What we think determines what we do. If you don't think much about Jesus, you probably won't do much with Jesus that day. If your mind isn't much on Jesus, you're probably not going to be doing much for Jesus in that day. And so now, because we've been liberated, don't go back into the tyranny of sin and just think about sin. Don't let your mind be captivated by sin. You've been set free. Don't go back into the prison cell. You've been set free. And so then, when you think on Christ, here Paul's pointing out in chapter 3, verse 1, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, or keep seeking them. And he points out this, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You shouldn't miss that. Because there's a couple things, obviously, with Colossians that he's been pointing out. When you think about Christ being at the right hand of God, you think about his victory. You think about his sufficiency. You think about his righteousness. You think about how it's achieved. And so when you set your mind on Christ and then you see him in the victorious spot, 
You'll remember last week, Kevin was telling us about asceticism and things with the body. See, when you see Christ, you realize asceticism doesn't earn you righteousness. It's not about keeping or doing this with your body. When you see Christ at the right hand of God, you know that it was what was achieved with his body, not what you do with your body. And so you set your mind on his victory. When you see Christ at the right hand of God, you know there's no angel that's worthy of worship. Paul's dealing with this at the church. They're saying worship angels. When you see Jesus, in the authoritative spot, it's not Gabriel, it's not Michael, and it's not Boudreaux the angel. It's not any other angel. Christ alone is in this victorious spot. And so you don't worship one that's not worthy of worship. You worship the one who alone is worthy of worship. And then when you see him, you know this isn't empty philosophy that's trying to take you captive. It is a concrete fact. When Stephen was martyred and heaven was open, he said, I see Christ standing at the right hand of God. This is solid, authoritative truth. Set your mind there, and you won't try to earn righteousness. You won't worship less. Set your mind on Christ's victory and righteousness, and you will live in his liberty. Christ's imminent return perhaps will be on your mind if you set your thoughts on heaven. Then you would perhaps not waste your day if the thought occurred to you, it could be my last. If the thought occurs to us, it could be my last day, then we're prone not to just live it for ourselves. We want to live it for the gospel. So then, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right and pure, it's excellent, admirable, praiseworthy. Think on these things. Think on these things. Store treasure in heaven, Jesus tells us. If heaven's not on our mind, we're more likely to store it in Capital One. In Psalm 139, 17, David says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Friends, because of the gospel, we have been liberated to set our minds on Christ. We have been liberated to seek, and we're being called in gospel power. The gospel has been achieved. Now do this. Keep seeking, keep setting. And as a church, we should be reminding each other every day, think on Christ. We are not being the church to each other if we're not reminding each other Think on Christ today. Stir one another to Christ today. Hebrews 10. So we're united in thought. Number two, we're united in war against sin. Not only has Christ liberated our minds, Christ has liberated our bodies. Here's what he says in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you two once walked when you were living in them, But now you must put them all away. So there are four commands today. The first two are seek uh, the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. The next two commands are put to death in verse 5 and put them all away in verse 8. Put to death and put them away. Again, all of this is drenched in the gospel. If Christ had not achieved what he had achieved, we can't put anything away. And it just becomes a heavy burden where we're trying to earn righteousness. But as we've already clearly articulated, Christ is at the right hand of God. It's already been won. So now because of his victory, put to death the flesh. The, the, the master has been booted out of his seat and you now have a new master. Hold your place here in Colossians. Turn back to Romans 6. Turn back to Romans 6. Romans 6, beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. 
how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So here, Paul, what we just covered in Colossians, we're united in Christ's death, we're united in Christ's resurrection. That's the greatest Christmas present you've ever received. He then goes on and says it should make a difference in how we live. Verse 5, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Do you see why? In order that, you should circle that if you haven't by now, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, nullified, rendered inoperative is what it means there in the language, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who's died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He says, reckon, make this your mindset. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law, but under grace. So here, don't miss it. He says, you used to be ruled by an awful master. It was sin and it was death, but Christ has set you free. And so now you're in a place where sin can't dominate you anymore. The power of that has been broken by Christ. And the picture that I often use because of the American Revolution, I love the queen, bless her heart, God save her. But if she were to come over here, and I always think if she were to say, bring me some Grey Poupon, because for some reason I think of Grey Poupon and England. And I think it's all the Rolls Royce commercials growing up, right? The Rolls Royce would roll down Pardon me, do you have any Grey Poupon? Yeah, I keep that in my dash all the time. And so if the queen were to demand for us to bring her Grey Poupon, the problem is she has no authority over us. Because 27,000 men gave their lives in 1776 and 77, 78 to set us free from that monarchy. In the same way, Jesus is telling you, sin no longer has dominion that it used to. The one man, Jesus, has set us free. So therefore, if you're letting it dominate you, it's your choice and you're foolish. So he says, here's what you do. You wake up. Don't present the members of your body to sin. Present them to Jesus. You wake up and you say, Jesus, my eyes are yours today. In the gospel power, my hands are yours. In the gospel power, my mind is yours. You present them to Jesus. So I know this is crazy, but the gospel writers just think the gospel should matter in our lives, that we should live in the freedom. If you were to turn to 1 John 3, I know our time is almost gone. Good thing we're cooking lunch. You turn to 1 John chapter 3. I just want to show you this in one other place. Turn to 1 John chapter 3. should be blown away by verse 1. Let's just pick up, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. This is the verse I read to you a while ago, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And then look at this. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. 
Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So you see what John says? What determines if you're in Jesus or not is not whether you walked an aisle and prayed a prayer. But what displays whether you're in Christ or not is whether sin is your master or Jesus is your master. And so John says, look, we're going to appear with him. And because we're going to appear with him, then we purify ourselves. And so not only are believers united in thought, believers are united in war against sin. And that's why back in Colossians 3, we're being called to put it to death and to put it all away. And then he just gives specific ones, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. And really the root of all sin is we're not satisfied in Christ. We're looking for something else to feed this craving. And it shows that we're not satisfied in Christ. But Christ is sufficient, as you know. Um, in him is the, this fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures evermore. And so if we would just be satisfied in Christ, when we covet or want something else, which leads to these other things, it reveals we're not satisfied. And then the speech is anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. And he's going to say in verse 9, don't lie to one another. So this is great. We're being called to put to death and to put away. The question is, how do we do that? And the answer is given to you in Romans 8, 13. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you'll live. So how do you kill sin? As John Owen said, kill sin or it will kill you. Be killing sin or it will kill you. You put to death sin with the Spirit and he uses a sword. Does anyone remember what the sword of the Spirit is? It's the Word. So there's no doubt. How do we become deep? How do we grow in sanctification? God's Spirit uses God's Word in our lives to move us to obedience so that sin doesn't dominate us. Christ dominates us. And this, friend, is not radical Christianity. This is Christianity. So if we are not the people who are putting sin to death daily, because Peter says, you know, I uh, urge you to abstain from the sinful desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. You realize the flesh, the world, the devil, they don't take days off. So neither do we when it comes to putting sin to death. If we're not putting sin to death, but rather we're relishing in sin, we must read First John again and be careful to figure out who's our daddy. Is the Lord really our daddy or is the devil our daddy? Because if we're in Christ, then we're putting these things to death. They're no longer our master and they're no longer joyful. Here's what Spurgeon said. Christian, what hast thou to do with sin? Hath it not cost thee enough already? Burnt child. Will you play with the fire? What? When you've already been between the jaws of the lion, will you step a second time into his den? Have you not had enough of the old serpent? Did he not poison all your veins once? And will you play upon the hole of the asp and put your hand upon the asp's den a second time? Oh, be not so mad, so foolish. Did sin ever yield you real pleasure? Did you find solid satisfaction in it? If so... Go back to your old drudgery and wear the chain again if it delights you. But inasmuch as sin did never give you what it promised to bestow, but deluded you with lies, be not a second time snared by the old fowler. 
be free and let the remembrance of thy ancient bondage forbid thee to enter the net again. Friends, it's so ridiculous if today in America we acted as if we're under the reign of the Queen of England. We're not. That leader has been deposed for it. Even more foolish is when the church acts as if sin is her master when Christ is a sufficient Savior to set us free. So don't just know the gospel, live in the gospel. Let me close with the the last point, and this is really more where Kevin will pick up, beginning in verse 9. But united in the global gospel family, not only united in thought, united in the war on sin, but we're united in the global gospel family. In essence, we're united in regeneration, which unites us to believers in every nation. You like that? It rhymes. Beginning in verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This here is regeneration. Verse 11 says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And so I would just say a quick word here. The issue is the gospel should unite us. John writes, and he says, as we walk in him, we will have fellowship with one another. The thing that causes division in the church is somebody is not walking with Christ. Galatians 5 says, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but uh, submit to Christ. Walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, have life in the Spirit, sow to the Spirit. Otherwise, you will bite and devour one another. So if there's division in our midst, it's because someone is sowing to the flesh. And so here, what Paul is calling us to, not only united in thought, united in war against sin, but united to one another. And not just in Baton Rouge, but in China and in Russia. I went to seminary with a guy from, his family was from Palestine. And if you're not aware of the news, Palestinians and Israel are fighting. And it was always interesting to me because he would say, how should I feel about the people of Israel? As my grandmother is still there and she's being bombed by them. And so here, friends, I want us to be very careful. We celebrate our country today, and it is a good stewardship, and God in his sovereignty has placed us here, and I believe we will be held to a great account for that. But make no mistake, I am closer to my brother in Christ in China than my non-Christian American neighbor. Make no mistake where our first citizenship lies. It's in heaven. And so if there's any racial tension in you, it better be against sin and not nationality. And we must understand how we relate. Why? How is it that even a Palestinian Christian could be closer to me? Well, he answers that for you in verse 11. Because Christ is in all. Because Christ is in all. Not only Christ in all, Christ is all. Our worldview should be Christ. And wherever our brother and sister is, we are in Christ closer to them than we are any other non-Christian. So bearing in mind our responsibilities, which is why it's right for us to partner with our friends in Bugiri. They're our brothers and sisters, which is why it's right for us to partner with Ramon. He's our brother. Brothers look out for brothers which is why it's right for us to use baskets of our sisters in Rwanda 
because brothers look out for sisters. So friends, let the citizenship we celebrate most today be the one that will never end. Be the one that there will be no passport required. But we will be in his kingdom, one kingdom, and he has paid the entry fee. So now let me finish with these two pictures. Do you remember Jesus' good friends? They were two sisters. What were their names? Mary and Martha. I saw a, a, something somewhere that said, Lord, I'd love to be a Mary, but someone's got to cook. Or so, I, I saw maybe that's a book coming out. It was kind of funny. They had a brother. What was their brother's name? Lazarus. Something happened to Lazarus, pretty significant. Does anyone remember what happened to Lazarus? He died, right. And Jesus came that day, right? Oh, no, he didn't. Jesus waited. Actually, he waited. Do you remember how many days Jesus waited? He actually waited till the fourth day, and it was significant because the Jewish people felt like the spirit hovered over the body at least three days, but by the fourth day it would be gone. So it is significant that Jesus waited till the fourth day. And we know that they were pretty convinced that Lazarus was dead, particularly his sister, because she says one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, Lord, he stinketh much. <laughs> Every counselor at a seventh grade boys camp has said the same verse, right? So uh, they were pretty sure he's dead. Jesus is pretty sure he's dead. Jesus weeps. Jesus orders the stone to be rolled away. And then Jesus does something significant. Do you remember what Jesus did? He stepped up to it. He prayed, and he prayed. He said, I just want them to know you and I are together in this. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. Anyone remember what happened next in the story? Zacchaeus came down the tree. <laughs> Lazarus came out. He had on the burial clothes. Jesus said, take them off. He didn't need them anymore. He wasn't dead anymore. How many of you think, Lazarus ever forgot that day? How many of you would say you doubt that Lazarus ever forgot the day that Christ raised him from the dead? What's really funny is in the very next chapter, it says that some of the Jews wanted to kill Lazarus. <laughs> the poor guy, he can't win, right? All he did was be raised, and the Jews are like, no, you know. I am certain that Lazarus never forgot the day, and I'm certain that when Lazarus died again, and he was with Christ at that point, he really never forgot the day, not only that he was raised, but that Christ was raised from the dead. Friends, I have never forgotten the day when I was eight years old at a chili dog supper for chunky kids at a revival. I've never forgotten the day that Christ set me free. And as I shared with you earlier, my grandmother, her body may be in Leesburg. But she lives today because of the greatest act of liberty and deliverance ever. So friends, there's no other power over sin and death. And the majority of our world is still under its tyranny. So the problem is, is you and I keep engaging in sin after we've been set free. The world will never see the hope of the gospel in us. So this isn't just religion. Friends, this is the essence. Is Christ in all and is Christ all? Friend, if you're here and you've never submitted to Christ, today's a great day for independence. Today's a great day for freedom.
flee to Christ. Friend, if you're here and you've been set free, but you have put yourself back under the tyranny of sin, fall on your knees begging Jesus for forgiveness and empowerment to be set free. And pray that we might be a church that spurs one another on into holiness. For there is a perishing world today that needs to see the power of the gospel in us. I want to give you a chance to respond. Stephanie's going to come. I want to give you a chance to pray over these things. Maybe for the first time, come to Jesus today. I'll ask Mr. Al to step up and be available over here as well. Kevin, if you would step up, brother, and be over here. We just want to give you a chance to respond to these things. Maybe you'd like us to pray over you about a particular issue. or Maybe today you'd like to come to Christ. We want to give you that opportunity. And then we'll close out our time with announcements. And then we will slip and slide. Father, we thank you for today. And uh, we lack the words to really express our gratitude for the gospel. Father, we sometimes are so unaware that we're born not only in prison to the world, the flesh, and the devil, but we are born in the grave already. And the only one who has the power to set us free is Christ Jesus. And Father, you are the one who's been offended. The debt that was owed was not owed to the devil. The debt that was owed was to the only holy one that there's ever been. It was to you. And so the amazing thing is we're dead in sin and there's no way we can pay this debt. So you pay it. You choose to pay it. Otherwise, we would never be reconciled to you. There would be no relationship and we would perish forever in our sin. And so, Father, we see the great cost that it cost those in the 1700s in order to obtain our freedom here. But the greatest cost has been paid by your son, Jesus, in which you laid every one of our sins upon him, in which you poured full wrath into him. And he died. But by your power, Father, you raised him from the dead. And so now death is not the last word over Lazarus. Death is not the last word over my grandmother. Christ is. And Christ is at your right hand, and he's victorious. So God, would you help us to set our minds there so that we don't try to earn righteousness, so that we don't worship anything less than the worthy one, so that we don't try to engage in asceticism, but trust that all we need has been imputed to us by you. Father, would you help us to then put to death, help us to quit tolerating sin, to quit indulging in sin. Help us by your spirit to kill sin. Help those of us who've been set free from the grave not to go back in it, to be chained. Father, the world is watching. The world, the majority is in chains today. So, Father, they need to see the power of the gospel in our lives, to hear the power of the gospel in our lips. And in our room today, there are folks, Father, that still in bondage by the power of the gospel would you set them free would you help them to flee to Christ today for those who need forgiveness for not putting to death for not putting away sin Father would you bring it would you provide your grace Father would you remind us that we are united in a global gospel we should care about our brothers and sisters particularly the persecuted church should stand with them. We should sacrifice for them. For they are our family. 
in the gospel. Help us not to neglect them. Father, we pray now by your spirit, you move us into obedience to this text. We don't want to just learn it. We want to live it. In your name we pray. Amen. You stand with us. Perhaps you'd like to pray. We'll be available here for just a moment. Pray with you.